Welcome to Calvary Church, where we are dedicated to loving God and loving people. If you want to know more about us, please check us out online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Hello, and welcome again to Worship Sunday here at Calvary. For anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Heather. I'm the worship pastor and pastor of administration here at the church. And it is a real honor to be here, an honor to be speaking to you today, and an honor to be part of this summer speaker series. Um, Of course, I think having a day dedicated entirely to worship is a fantastic way to end summer. It's a great way to start a new season, and for many of you, a great way to start a new school year. And my hope for you today is that you just walk away with a nugget, a nugget or two, something from the word that sticks with you, um, that inspires you to fully engage in worship when we gather together to worship the Lord fully and completely, um, just like we are doing together today. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to have a quick look at the uh, subject of worship, which of course is a huge subject. So we're going to narrow it down a little bit, and we're going to talk about the progression of worship as a believer. And um, you see me kind of going like this because I see this idea as sort of three phases or three layers, but I'll get into those in just a minute. Um, because even in reflecting on my own journey and my own experience um, as a believer in terms of worship, my my experience follows a very typical pattern. Um, From a non-believer to someone who gave their life to Christ to someone who's now dedicated to the pursuit of worship and worshiping God and living for him. And many of you will know my story. I've shared bits of it before. Um, But very quickly, for those of you that haven't heard it before, uh, my first encounter with the Lord or with worship or even with the people of God that I can remember is when I walked into a church at the age of 14. And it was actually this church, but it was located in Burnaby at the time. And what I saw that day was a platform full of people that were worshiping God and leading other people in worshiping God. And what I remember about that is that I just, I sensed something. Something was going on, something I didn't understand. And it seemed like those people, they knew something that I didn't know. And I was drawn to that. I really was um, curious about it. And it compelled me. It compelled me to come back. I wanted to go back to that place and to learn more about what those people knew. So that initial experience of witnessing other people encountering God, of course, eventually led to my own personal encounter with God. And that relationship with Christ, even in my early days, caused me to change the way that I was living. Even though I was a teenager, you might say, how much did you really have to change? Well, quite a lot, actually. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I made a decision. I made a decision to commit my life to Christ. I made a decision to... um, live for him. I was going to submit my future to him. And those decisions uh, led me to be really connected with that local church, to have my life and the life of the local church really integrated. Any service I could get to, any event, anything I could do to learn and grow, um, I was there. I was, I was going to figure this thing out. And my understanding of the word, of course, grew. My understanding of worship, of course, grew. And literally, it was just because I showed up. It was just because I made myself available to the Lord and I made myself open to his word. And in those early days, I saw really quickly, actually, that worship can lead to a life being changed. I was experiencing it myself. 
And that's why having a Sunday like this where we can talk about worship and having, a, having worship as part of our every Sunday and, and, and almost every gathering is so crucial. It's such a, a huge part of, of, uh, of a Christian's walk. So let's talk about that progression that I was referring to before in these three uh, sort of layers, as I said, that I, I kind of envision as I'm chatting with you. And let's start at the very beginning. The very first layer of worship uh, that I want to talk to you about today is this. It is that worship is an activity that every human being engages in, whether they think of themselves as uh, religious or whether they have a faith in Jesus or not. Every human being, think of the whole globe, everyone worships something. Now, let's just pause for a second um, and just uh, underline something, that the most widely agreed upon definition of worship today is that worship is an expression. It's an expression of adoration, reverence, admiration, and devotion. So anything or anyone or any idea or concept or pursuit that we admire or revere or adore or devote ourselves to is something that we, in essence, worship. And every human being does that, right? We all have things that we put our time towards, our money towards, that we're passionate about, our energy towards these things. And that is okay, because that is exactly how we are designed. We are actually created by the Lord to be worshipers, to revere and adore and admire and devote ourselves to him. The very first people God created were made to be in direct relationship with him, to be near him all the time. The challenge for us now is that thanks to those first people, <laughs> we live in a fallen world, and this is where sin abides. And instead of worshiping our creator, people often worship other people or physical idols because they believe that it's a deity. Or uh, very commonly, certainly in North America, we worship ourselves or our own self-fulfillment. It would be very, very common um, for us, uh, if you think even of uh, maybe your own um, social media interaction, it's easy to worship or pursue or seek out the affirmation of other people, the positive comments, the likes, the, the popularity that that can bring. But this is not a social media problem. This is a people problem. Ecclesiastes tells us there is nothing new under the sun. People have always looked elsewhere for their own sense of self and their own um, comfort and self-comforting and their own belonging, even Adam and Eve. Even those first people who had direct access to the Lord looked elsewhere. They looked to a tree, which is mind-blowing. But the problem, as we know, with worshiping anything else or pursuing anything else other than creator is that everyone else and everything else is a false god in our lives. They're simply attempts to fill the hole within us, the hole that was designed by God for God within us. This space that is meant to be the dwelling place of the living God, nothing can fill that except for him. And that identity that we search for, the comfort that we search for, the belonging that we search for is literally found only in his presence and in the community of believers that love the Lord. So let's go to Ezekiel 36. This is an unusual chapter to go to, an unusual book to go to when discussing worship, but I wanted to point something out here. Um, in this period of time, God's people were scattered. They were exiled. A lot of them were in Babylonian captivity, actually. And God brings them a promise in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28. He says this. 
He says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Okay, there's a lot going on here. But what I want to point out is that we learn here that God's people, they had been worshiping like all people do, but they had not been worshiping the God that they know they should be worshiping. And so what does he do? He reclaims his people. We would think that this is because they're in captivity or they're scattered, but that is not what God is expressing here through Ezekiel. He doesn't say he'll gather his people together because he wants them to have this plot of land. There is something much bigger going on here. He reclaims his people because he is reclaiming their misdirected worship. They had made poor choices. They were likely influenced by cultures around them, and their adoration had been placed elsewhere. He saw them, and he saw what was happening, and he knew what they really needed. They didn't just need a new home. They needed a new heart, right? A change of heart. They needed his spirit in them. They needed to be cleansed from choices they made. They needed a chance to be the people of God where they could adore and revere and admire and devote themselves to him. Not to other idols, not to false gods, not to what the culture around them was pursuing, but just worshiping their own God. So this is really important for us to understand this layer of worship in our world that all people are designed to worship. And all people, whether they know the Lord or not, they are worshiping someone or something. And God's desire, of course, is to reclaim everyone, that we would all have a chance to know him, that we would all have a chance to worship him. And that actually makes me think back to when I did walk into that church many, many years ago, and I instantly sensed something was different. I knew immediately I was no longer in the people of the world, but that I was in a, amongst a group of people that knew something unique, and I was so hungry to know what they knew. And that actually takes us right into that next layer of worship. So we know that all people worship. So that next layer of worship is this, that our worship shifts when we become a Jesus follower. What we admire, what we adore, what we revere, what we pursue, it all changes when we know Jesus. When we give our lives to Christ, we start to build what is known as a lifestyle of worship. This is where we see changes in the decisions we make, the way we speak, maybe the way we parent or the way we manage our finances, um, all aspects of our life become impacted by our faith and our relationship with Christ. So let's go now to another scripture. Let's jump over to Micah chapter 6. Unfortunately, we find ourselves again where Israel's failed to live as God has directed them. And so the prophet Micah is asking in Micah 6, 6 to 8, how should these people then reconcile themselves to such a holy God, such an almighty God, such an all-powerful God? How can they draw near to him? So this is what Micah asks, verses 6 to 8. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a, a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then Micah answers the question. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And to be really honest with you, I think what we see in these verses is a frustrated prophet. He's almost using exaggeration to bring a point to the people of Israel. You know, do I bring this or this? And he's escalating it and escalating it and escalating it. You can almost see him going, oh, Israel, you know the answer to this question. I know the answer to this question. In order to reconcile and draw close to God, you devote yourself to him and your lifestyle will follow. People of Micah's time, really what they needed to do was they just needed to value what God valued and, and walk it out. And those shifts in what we value and what our priorities are, they're part of our daily life of worship, that lifestyle of worship as believers. Every time we choose to treat someone else the way we would like to be treated, we honor God. Every time we um, you choose grace or patience with someone, we love mercy and we honor God. Every time we make a decision of integrity or we honor our parents, we choose not to tell a lie, we teach our children to show respect, we are valuing what God values and we're making his priorities our priority and we're walking out our faith. And that is that next layer of worship as believers where our lifestyle is changing. And as a teenager, where I learned this was watching people like you interacting with each other in the lobby at church, during small groups, um, during services, being generous towards one another, serving each other, befriending each other, taking care of each other, celebrating with each other, grieving with each other. I learned this lifestyle from the word and from interacting with the people of God. And I saw so quickly that how we live our lives is directly connected to our faith. That really motivated me as a young believer to jump in, to jump into this Jesus culture uh, with two feet and to pursue uh, worship and time with the people of God as often as I could. And that pursuit of worship leads us now to our last sort of layer of worship that I want to talk about. So we know already that all human beings worship. It's a part of how we are created. God wants our hearts he designed us to be connected to him and to be his people. We know that when we become Jesus followers, that worship shifts. And when he has our hearts, it impacts how we live our lives. And the last layer of worship is this, that individual lives are changed when the people of God gather together to worship. When people come together, when the people of God come together intentionally and they engage in worship together, it is a recipe for the miraculous. When the church gathers, God does something unique. It, it cannot be found in those other layers or those other experiences. He moves amongst his gathered people in a way that is extraordinary. And so let me just tell you very quickly what I've learned and experienced in my now 30 plus years as a believer. Um, 
worshiping together definitely changes us as individuals. I, I began to see the value in worship. I began to see that um, when we spend time in worship, we're really spending time with God directly. Worship is often the bridge to his presence. It's where we kind of let everything else go and focus in on him. And we sense him around us. And, and I hope that you have experienced that because his presence is incomparable. You cannot be in his presence and remain unchanged. Worship causes us to look at Jesus and to look at the truth and to look away from the world and away from the worry and away from the anxiety. Worship can teach us how to talk to God. It gives us language to converse with him. Worship is an opportunity for us to express whatever we need to that day before the Lord. Sometimes we come in to worship and we are all gratitude, but sometimes we feel deep remorse. Sometimes we are excited and we want to express our joy and our appreciation. And sometimes we walk in grieving and feeling doubt. It really allows us a place to express our love for Jesus without it even being weird. <laughs> uh, worship is a place for us to experiencing something together as a family. You know in your own family when you experience something together that is special and unique, you remember that. That is what worship is for us as a church family. It will teach us about Jesus. It will teach us about the characteristics of God and his attributes because we sing about these things. I would argue that worship is the time when we're most open to the Lord ministering to us. I know from my own experience, um, during times of worship, I have been delivered from something that was really plaguing me. Um, I have been physically healed um, in my body, and I have experienced, I mean, so many times the Lord has ministered peace to me, or hope, um, or just a sense of encouragement, or sometimes a picture of just how deep and wide and huge His love is for us. Worship can be a totally unique experience every time we gather because we come in and, you know, to, if we come into a church building, we come into the church building just as we are. We just come as we are that day. And it might be different from the mindset we were in last week and certainly would be from a season before and definitely we're different than we were a year before. And regardless of where we're at, God meets with us right where we are. He meets us in that place. So worship is for everyone in every phase of their journey, every age, every background, ethnicity, every um, a life experience, worship is a safe place for everyone. Um, think about this for a minute. Think of Colossians 3.16 when considering what can happen when people gather together for worship. The scripture says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This scripture is unique in the word because it's speaking directly in the context of people gathering together as believers. And we see it's pretty obvious that they're being given instructions for when they are singing together. And in doing so, in gathering together to sing together, they're essentially creating a cycle every time they get together to worship. They're teaching each other and advising each other. They're reminding each other and encouraging each other. And that's really what we do today. We come in, we are 
through the songs that we sing, we're reminded of the word of God, and that's encouraging. We're reminded of his faithfulness, and that's encouraging. We're reminded of his power, and that's encouraging. And we walk through this cycle of teaching and admonishing and reminding and being encouraged. It's so important for us to understand that when we come into a room together to worship, we are impacting those around us. We have a tendency to think of ourselves, of course, as individuals, because we are, um, but particularly maybe if I could pick on the North American church, I think it's common that we're very individualistic. We come in and we're thinking only of ourselves. Um, maybe that's not you, but I know that's certainly my experience. <laughs> certainly in my history, that's been my experience. But God is saying this time of worship is more about just us as individuals. Of course it is about him, but it is also about those all around us. In fact, he has designed us to impact each other during this time. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There is actual um, oral stimuli science. So oral, A-U-R-A-L, uh, science that studies what impact, um, what takes place within us when we hear different things. And this is what the studies find. Um, the studies confirm that when you get together, when we sing the same thing together with someone else, the human brain actually fires up areas that facilitate a sense of unity. So if you're singing the same thing side by side with someone, there is something happening within you, some body chemistry taking place that is causing you to have a sense of unity with that person. It also fires up the areas that deepen our understanding of what we are experiencing in that moment. So when we come together on an average Sunday and we choose to participate in worship, God has a design within us that causes us to be more unified and he's hardwired us to deeply experience his presence and have a fuller comprehension as to what he is ministering to us about. But our responsibility in that moment is we have to be the participants. We have to be fully engaged in worship to block out the distractions and to focus in on him, to let the message of Christ dwell within us richly as we come together. And this is something very unique. This can only take place when we gather. Singing together unifies people. It engages the heart and the mind and the body in worship. And I want to encourage us here today as a church family, to not be afraid of that, to not be timid about worship, because sometimes it will engage our emotions. And sometimes we will feel compelled to do something, to express our worship in a way that we maybe haven't done before. You may um, feel compelled to raise your hands or even kneel on the ground, and that's okay. That is a biblical expression of worship, and that is what we are hearing and experiencing around us um, communicating to our brain and our brain saying, hey, listen, uh, you, need, you need to take this further. You need to be singing out loud. You need to be raising your hands. And what we know from the word and what we're experiencing in that moment come together and is, can be a very, very beautiful, beautiful a time of worship all through the Bible. All through the Bible, we see very rational people experience some emotion when they're near God or when they're changed by God. And of course, in the Bible, we're encouraged to clap, kneel, sing, uh, play instruments, shout, dance, lift our hands in worship to God. So all of these things are perfectly acceptable when we gather together. And in the Psalms, you'll see the engagement of the mind and the heart and the body. You will see the writers there express a wide variety of emotions, probably the broadest 
example of, of emotion um, in the Bible in its entirety, you'll find that the writers express deep intellectual thought as they're processing what they're experiencing. And they also talk about how they express themselves in worship outwardly. So it's a, the Psalms are a great place to go to as a resource when studying worship. Okay, Calvary, I just, I want to end today with an encouragement. An encouragement. Um, hopefully now we can see a little bit or we've learned something today about that progression of worship in the lives of people as they come to know Christ and give their lives to him and give their hearts to him and allow him to change the way that they live. And then as they understand and learn about the presence and power of God by gathering together with his people to adore him, to revere him, to admire him, and to devote themselves to him further. And for those of us here that are um, here for that reason, that we, we are um, checking out this service today because we are Jesus followers and we do have some understanding of worship in our lives, I want us to remind I want us to remember this. I want us to remember the greatness of God, his scope, his creativity, his power. I want us to remember the gravity of sin, it, the, the darkness of sin, how it damages us, how it damages those around us. And I want us to remember the grace of God the grace of Jesus, the sacrifice he made, and the freedom that that brings us. Because if we have any understanding of how great God is, of how grave sin is, of how amazing the grace of Jesus is, then we have to be compelled to worship and to worship fully and to worship completely engaged with all of our hearts and with all of our mind and with all of our being. I encourage you, allow yourself the opportunity to encounter the living God by engaging in worship fully. It will change your life. Let's pray. Father God, we are here before you right now and we ask that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit that you would pursue those of us that have found ourselves worshiping anything other than you. Reclaim us, Lord. Reclaim our misdirected worship, and we give ourselves to you. Help us, God, to make those decisions and take those steps that we need to cleanse our lifestyles, to, to value and prioritize what you value and what you prioritize. Strengthen us, Lord. Every time we gather, remind us Holy Spirit, about the greatness of God, about the grace that Jesus provides for us, and nudge us to fully engage in worshiping you, our amazing and worthy God. Thank you so much for being with us today. We commit ourselves right now to gather intentionally together in order to worship you and to take that opportunity to experience all you have designed us to, even as we continue to worship you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.